the title this morning is Unloading Condemnation, uh, I think you'll grab that. And then a kind of subheading for today's message is How the Cross uh, Removes Our Shame. So again, Unloading Condemnation, How the Cross Removes Our Shame. So with that in view, why don't you stand up so that we can look at God's Word and read God's Word together as a church family. Romans 8, 1 through 4. It says this, Therefore, uh, there is now no condemnation. Say, that, say no condemnation. Say it. Right. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Verse 4. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So reads God's holy and that word. Now you may be seated. So as we looked at that, those first four verses, zeroing in on verse 1, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I would have to ask you a question and consider it in your mind without answering out loud. Do you truly believe that verse? I mean, you personally, do you believe it? Do you live by it? We're going to find out. Again, the verse, verse 1 will be on the screen. It says, therefore, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation is an extremely important verse, but it's a gripping statement by the Apostle Paul when we actually understand the term condemnation. This carries the idea of penal servitude, which means imprisonment with hard labor. Imprisonment with hard labor. I like how F.F. Bruce paraphrased this for us as he says, and I quote, there is no reason why those who are in Christ Jesus should go on doing penal servitude as though they have never been pardoned and liberated from the prison house of sin. So chapter 8 begins with the words, no condemnation. You know how verse 8 ends? It ends with no separation. So we see no condemnation, and the very verse, this beautiful verse, verse 8, ends with no separation. Let me read to you chapter, chapter 8, verse 39 to you. There is nothing that will be able to separate us, separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God for that. Amen? Praise God. No matter what we've done, if we are in Christ, if we've repented of our sins and placed our faith in Christ, nothing can separate us from Him. And you will get that point today on this Lord's Day. I remember reading about a lady who shared with her spiritual mentor that she never felt she could be a virtuous woman. You know, women's ministries have a habit of talking about Proverbs 31 just about every time they gather, but not at Lake Shore City Church, praise God. It's a beautiful chapter. But we seem to talk about it 
a whole heck of a lot. But she couldn't, she didn't see herself as a virtuous woman. And she began to explain why. And she said this, you know, I've never felt like a virtuous woman because I had failed morally years ago. You see, the regret, as she goes on to talk to her mentor, it, be, it, it was eating at her, not always eating at her, but consistently eating at her. There were days of good ministry and good fellowship and, and times of joyful study in God's Word, but you see, she kept picking up this luggage that didn't belong to her. Someone say amen. She began to play the record of her past as the mentor said, well, tell me what you're thinking. How, how do these thoughts come? And she said, I just, I've got this it's in my head. It just, it, the record keeps playing over and over and over again, and I just can't seem to get it out of my head. She began to continue on that thought process, and she said, I just don't understand how I could have been so reckless months or years ago, depending upon who I'm speaking to this morning. But then she said it. She said something brave. She said something truthful. Whether it's God, whether it's of God or not, she, she put it out there. And it's certainly not of God, but in a spirit of authenticity, she said these words. I know that God forgives. But you see, I just can't seem to forgive myself. You know that everybody in this room has had somebody who has said that to them or they've said it to somebody else? I just can't forgive myself for what I've done. Let me, let me share something with you. The Bible does not talk about the need to forgive ourselves. Nowhere in the Bible will you find, you know, you just need to forgive yourself. That's not what the Bible talks about, does it? Because we can't forgive ourselves. So why are we always trying to forgive ourselves when we can't forgive ourselves? Do you see the dilemma? And the penny drops. All that does is breed more and more condemnation and the devil loves it. As he reminds us, of who we once were. We can't forgive ourselves. Only God, only Christ can forgive you. Only Christ can forgive your pastor. All of us are needy recipients of God's grace and need to be forgiven. We can't forgive ourselves. But what we're really saying when we say that, whether that's you or someone you know, is... I've never been able to feel forgiven. I've never been able to feel forgiven. But brothers and sisters, that's why I love to sing God's Word. I love to sing God's promises. I love to be in community with other believers when we sing songs and hymns like Nothing But the Blood. How does that song go? Joe and Candace sing it often. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, sometimes we can sing the songs with our, with our mouths, but our hearts can be far from what we're singing. That's why we have to come into communion with the Father. We need to recognize that the moment we walk into God's house, we are ready to worship. Not that you can't worship outside. Some of you think, well, I worship all the time. I'm just trying to help you with something. 
when you walk into God's house, let's be ready corporately to worship. When we're ready to worship, we get inclined with the Father. We begin to commune with the Father as it says in John 15. We begin to nourish on the vine. It's important for us to do that because our lips can be moving, but our heart is distant. You can't forgive yourselves. And indeed, as the song says, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Walk and wipe away my sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Today, I'm going to ask you this question, you personally. Are you feeling condemned? Are you feeling condemned? Let me ask you some questions to see if maybe some of this resonates with you. Are you not feeling like you're mom enough or you're not dad enough? There's a lot of women in this room who go through what we call uh, mom guilt. Don't leave me up here. And men, I know you go through that as well, but mainly I, I see it or hear it from, from, from women, moms. Uh, some of you will have come to the realization, or you believe this to be true, that you're not enough for your friends. You're not able to give them what they need, or you're not able to give your spouse what you need. And, and, and you feel like you should be doing more. You, you keep falling short, and you, and you wrestle with that. Some of you think to yourselves or say out loud, I'm just not a good enough Christian for, for God to use. And I know that when, you, when I say not good enough, I know you know what God's Word says, but yet you still think it and feel it anyway. Some of you have said, I'm just too much of all the wrong things, and, and I'm, I'm not enough of the right things. I just don't feel like I fit in. I can't do it the way that so-and-so does it, and Sally does it, and Sam does it, and I just don't fit in. I, I'm just not good enough. I don't do the right things. Some of you have thought this, I just can't step out and the ways that God has gifted me because I see my failures and I'm so overwhelmed by them and it's just a matter of time before people pick out that I'm actually weak and I stumble and often fall short. You see, all of those statements, they, they really speak to self, not Christ, self. And all of us are somehow and at least one of them, probably half of them. I have talked to many people in the congregation at Lakeshore to know that there's many amongst us, the things I just got done reading. Many of us, many of you, are stuck in the mire of feeling, the mud and the mire of feeling like I'm just not enough. I'm not enough. I do have a question. Why is it that we seem to be so hard on ourselves? Why is that? Why are we so quick to believe things such as that? Believe that our condemning thoughts are actually coming from God. Why do we believe that? We may not believe that today because we're in church and we get all spiritual. But when you're alone, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that these condemning thoughts are coming from God? Some would say, but yeah, pastor, I just, I, feel, I just feel convicted over these things. I mean, you know what I've done, but what if they find out what I've done? Those are for the honest ones. Well, I would ask 
all of us a question as we examine this verse. Is it self-conviction we're talking about here? Or is it Holy Spirit conviction? Those are two very different things. And I'm going to explain what they are. Is it self-conviction? Or is it Holy Spirit conviction? Because we're in church, take a guess which one is most helpful for you. Yeah, Holy Spirit conviction. There's a big difference. You see, when God convicts us, He gets specific about our sin. He gets specific with us about our sin. For example, he will the Holy Spirit that dwells within every believer, and by the way, chapter 8 of Romans speaks about the Holy Spirit, I think 19 to 22 times in the first 24 verses. The Holy Spirit is fully present and illuminated by the Apostle Paul in this chapter, but that's another conversation. So, what I'm trying to share with you is Christ will reveal to you, uh, you know, what you've done. He'll reveal to you, hey, look, you know, you're, you're withholding uh, forgiveness, for example, from your wife who's asked you for forgiveness, or somebody in your life, a son, a daughter, a friend. When someone comes to you and they ask for forgiveness and you withhold it, God, if you're in Christ, is going to reveal that to you, and He's going to use specific scriptures. And when Christ is doing the convicting, when the Holy Spirit is doing the convicting, He does it in kindness that leads to a hopeful conclusion of repentance and restoration because He's looking after us. The Holy Spirit, one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is to convict men and women over their sins. But He doesn't leave us there. He convicts us over our sins. Because our repentance should lead to dependence. But self-conviction is totally different. It's the conviction of the enemy. It's on one hand, it's, it's, it's wide-ranging. It's wide-ranging. Wide ranging. It's condemning. And it's defeatist. You, just, you walk around with that limp. You walk around with that spiritual limp. And I'm not making fun of you. I'm with you because I walk around with it sometimes too. What I'm trying to suggest to you is there's a difference between the convictions. One is, one is, uh, is kind of putting it in your face. Sit there, wrestle in it. You don't deserve. But it ultimately leads back to self. Self-conviction always leads back to self. You know, we're taught things like this, not in church. Just try harder and do better. Yeah, just try harder. What's going to fix this situation is to try harder. You even make lists of action points. You get your sticky notes out. And then you, you, you vow to change yourself only to end right back where you started. Because it's selfism. It's, it's about self. And it's self-conviction. We don't mean to do that, but that's what happens and we're stuck. We're stuck in this cycle, this septic tank of just ugliness. But brothers and sisters, what is the solution to this? What is the solution to when we feel this condemnation? It's not to prop ourselves up with, you know, just with some just positive talk. 
Um, it's not to go to those who will just give us praise and, and then you know, kind of lean on that. Like, Don't lean on self-conviction. Don't, don't lean on the praise of man because all those are just crutches. But we need to have what I would call authentic, robust talk here on this subject. We need the truth. You and I need to realize that we are not good enough. We're not. We're not good enough. We are very insufficient. We're not good enough. We're insufficient. But God, the Scripture you ever notice this in Scripture when we learn these types of things? Whatever the calamity, whatever the challenge is, whatever it is that we're going through, wherever we're stuck, we'll read God's Word and we'll see something that's so encouraging as it says, but God or but Christ. Like, I'm feeling this way. I'm stuck, but Christ, but God. And then right after that, or in the middle of that, you see something glorious and it encourages you. So brothers and sisters, you and I are not good enough. You and I are insufficient, but God or but Christ. Let me stand on some promises with you, brothers and sisters. Ephesians 2.4 says this, But God, now what does he say? Rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He has loved us. So I'm feeling this condemnation. I'm feeling this shame. I'm being reminded of the pigs of the past. But God, being rich in mercy. How much mercy? Rich in mercy. It's unrelenting, the mercy. Because of what? Because of His great love. What a profound verse to have etched on your heart when you're feeling condemnation. But what about Genesis 8.1? But God remembered Noah. I mean, Noah. And then I think the last part of the verse, and he remembered the animals. You know, what about Psalm 72.36? Yet my flesh and my heart may fail. Anybody been there? Have you ever had your flesh? Have you ever had your heart fail? It's normal when your flesh fails. It's normal when your heart fails. We don't like it, but we're sinful. We get crushed. We get defeated. My flesh and my heart fail. But God, what comes after that, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Sometimes we carry this weight and we don't realize that we need the strength of our Father and we don't have any strength have you ever tried to carry something when you have no strength? Some of you mamas carrying around your, your children and they weigh like 100 pounds. There just comes a time where you say, listen, you've got to go. I mean, there's a time where you just you don't have the energy. You're carrying around this child, but we carry around things that are not our children. We carry this baggage around, these pigs of the past, because we're tired and we're, we have no strength, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73, 26. Psalm 86, 15 says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. 
You see, when we oftentimes, when we're not doing well, when we're under the weight and the oppression of condemnation, we begin to have what I would call our own view of God in those dark times. And it's no longer the attributes of God as it's defined by God's Word and the Holy Scriptures that God is loving, He is caring, He's merciful. He's the one who will wrap His arms around you, who's, how He longed to gather you and, and, and huddle you, bring you in like chicks. We begin to think of God as cold and callous. We forget that the Word tells us in Psalm 86.15, that He's compassionate. Oh, that He is gracious. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody that was gracious? I mean, they're just so gracious, and they leave your presence, and you go, oh my gosh, that person is so gracious. How much more so is God? Or you're in the presence of somebody, and you say, they're so patient. They seem like they just let that roll off their back. Oh, they're slow to anger. Oh, they're abounding in love. That's what the Bible says about our Lord. He is that, and He's perfectly that because He's God. What about Jonah 2.6? He said, To the roots of the mountains I sank down the earth beneath, beneath barred in me forever, but You, Lord my God, brought me brought my life up from the pit. You want to talk about a scallywag? It was Jonah running from God. God gives him a command. You go do this. And Jonah says, I ain't doing that. I don't even like those people. And he runs. I mean, this prophet is on the run. Who? He's a prophet for crying out loud. And, and, and my goodness, the grace and compassion of God. What about Matthew 19.26? It says this, listen to this, Jesus looked at them and he, said, and he said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are impossible. We say to our kids, we say to our friends, we say in Bible study, we say, we say, we say that God can do anything but help me with condemnation. No, God can, God will. But we have to give up on self and stop going to Oprah Winfrey and stop going to Dr. Feelgood and say, listen God, I don't need to feel good. I just need to know that you are who you say you are and I'm in struggle. I'm fighting for my life right now. Do you hear me, God? And God says, I do hear you. And I, I love the Psalms. As we look through the Psalms, we see Psalms are so raw, we don't see them being neat and cuddly. We see men pouring out their hearts to God. And then we think we can't do it. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's nothing that God has not heard man say. There's nothing that God hasn't seen man do. We invent ways to sin. Oh, brothers and sisters, the love that we have of the Father is not a love like we have ever known. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, according to Romans, Romans 8, 1, we have been liberated. We, as Christians, have been set free whether we feel it or not. There is a freedom in the blood of Christ. Let me say that again. There is a freedom in the blood of Christ. There is no penance to pay. It's been paid. Oh, brothers and sisters, some of you have been bought and paid for. How about that? The Word of God teaches us that it is finished. 
It is finished. You can walk in the fullness of the Gospel. You can walk in victory. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. There is no condemnation anymore. We feel it. We struggle. We sin. But you know the great thing about our God is He's patient, He's just, and He wants us to walk in a way worthy of the Gospel and He will help us when we cry out in desperation. When was the last time you, brother or sister, have cried out in desperation for that thing you're longing for? Oh, God hears the prayers of His people. He hears the prayers of His people. Verse 8-1 again says, Therefore, therefore, when it says therefore, He's referring back to something. Anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's referring back to something that He previously stated. Therefore. What did He state in chapter 5, chapter 7? We see the Gospel. We see it being laid out. We talk about redemption. We talk about what Christ has done. So He's talking about these victories. And that's why He says, therefore, because of what He's done, chapter 5, chapter 7, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But brothers and sisters, again, the question is, are you free of condemnation in your life today? Because of the power of the Gospel, you can be completely free of all condemnation. Not mostly free. Not, hey, I got, man, that was a great message. And I got 85% free today. Man, that's awesome. No, completely free. There's a little lie that's been, it's been spread around a town here in Corona and Riverside, and let's just call it the world. I think it came from the pit of hell. Here's what it is. That wallowing in your shame and cultivating just a little bit of condemnation is somehow pleasing to God. That God likes that. We, we feel a little bit of that sting. Or a little bit of condemnation, just a little, is going to promote some sort of spiritual maturity in us. I mean, we've got to take responsibility, right? And one way to do that is to kind of sulk in it a little bit. Just a little bit. Brothers and sisters, that's not true. It's the complete opposite of that. God is glorified in us, is glorified in the Christian when we believe with our hearts that those who trust in Christ can never be condemned. You want to please God? Stand on that promise. I can never feel condemned. Remember, you will feel condemned, but you're not. You're not. You're not. See, verse 8-1 says no condemnation for, this is an important distinction, for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in con condemnation. I'm sorry, there's no, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Excuse me. Because being in Christ means being united to Him. Being in Christ means being united to Him. Now this is significant. This is big time. Let me, let me show you what this means. It, it, it's big time that being united to Him is big time because what is true of Him is now also true of us. Let me continue. What is naturally His is now shared with me. Now shared with you. It's like a marriage. 
where the estate of the one becomes the estate of the other. Christ absorbs our debt. He, he, he absorbs it all. He wipes away our debt. All of it. All of it. And then we gain something. We gain all of His righteousness. That we're in partnership with God. You are not God. We are not God. But we're in partnership with Him. We're co-laborers in the Gospel. That He is our Father. We are sons and daughters, heirs of the Most High God. We gain His righteousness. But brothers and sisters, I can't say, you can't say, there is now, there is now no condemnation for Charlie Moulton, but I can and must say, there is now no condemnation for Charlie Moulton who is in Christ Jesus. Because if I'm in Christ Jesus, then I can say with confidence, with confidence that there's no condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, you have no assurance. You, you are not saved. Therefore, you, this is not for you. One must be born again. Must, one must repent of his sins and place their faith in Him. Be regenerated. But again, there is now no condemnation for Ron Gallerini. No condemnation for Louise Moulton who is in Christ Jesus. This status that I'm talking about this morning belongs to the believer because we are His. This is a big deal. But no condemnation. It means that God will never, listen to me, never, God will never count my sins against me. Ever. He will never count your sins against you. Even the dark ones. The shameful ones. The things that you're thinking about right now. Never will these sins be used against you. The world uses things against you. Never God. Why? How is it true that God can't... It's ugly though, Pastor. This is an ugly thing. This isn't small time. This isn't uh, a minor thing. This isn't telling my kids uh, a little white lie here. I mean, this is gigantic. Well, brothers and sisters, everything's gigantic to God. That's how it starts, the downward spiral. We begin to justify little things. Before you know it, we're in the soup with the big things. Because it starts with the little things. So brothers, this is what I'm trying to tell you. The big thing that you're thinking of is you made the distinction. The big thing. He'll never use it against you if you're in Christ. If you've gone to Him and repented and asked for forgiveness. He will never use it against you because of the perfect work of Jesus on the cross. The perfect work of Jesus on the cross removes the guilt and the shame forever. Or have we not read that sweet little verse in Psalm 103.10 where it says these words. It will be on the screen. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. Let's just stop right there. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Why in the world we're not judged according to our sins? Do you see the grace and the mercy of God? 
You see, brothers and sisters, if we do not understand that there is no condemnation, if we don't truly believe this verse, or we walk sideways on this verse, we begin to obey God out of fear and duty. And that's a slippery slope. To obey, obey God out of fear and duty. Slippery slope. Those that do understand and believe. Those that truly understand that there is no condemnation. They're different because they obey out of love and gratefulness. We sing songs like, I was once lost, but now I'm found. We sing songs like, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it's meaningful for all He's done. His kindness. His grace. His unmerited favor. Allow me to ask you four questions this morning. When you are discouraged, and we all get discouraged, do you run? And when you run, where do you run when you're discouraged? Where do you go? Second question. Where do you run when you are weak? That's a lot like the first question. <laughs> That's right. Where do you run when you're weak? Number three, what do you say to yourself when you are confronted with failure? What do you say to yourself when you personally are confronted with failure? And the last question, what do you do when you feel unable to do what God has called you to do? Brothers and sisters, when you are feeling any of these things, Scripture teaches us. If you're a follower of Christ, here's what you do. You run to Him. You run to Romans 8.1. This is a helpful verse. Run to Romans 8.1. Stand on the promise of God when it says, but God, but Christ. We don't need to run from God after we blow it. Do we not remember Adam and Eve? It's not like they're hiding. Oh, I don't see you, Adam and Eve. What are you doing, Adam? We're not little kids. He sees. He knows. Let's come clean. Run to Him. We can run to Him. We can run into His presence and we can ask for help and we can say, God, I blew it again. And by the sheer mercies given to us by God, He helps and restores. We've got to ask for His forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, He knows you're weak. He knows you're needy. He knows who you are. He knows what you've done. Yet despite our mess, he redeems us and He loves us. How do you beat condemnation? I mean, how do we do it according to Scripture? We run to Him. We confess our sins to Him. And we believe Him. We take Him at His Word. We believe that God has given you Jesus for the very sins you're feeling condemned for. You believe that the punishment Jesus took on the cross was for you. We get personal, don't we? We believe that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice. We, we believe that your sins of the past and your sins of today have all been atoned for. Glory to God. 
You don't need to forget your sins, and you're not going to forget your sins. You don't get amnesia when you come to a saving faith. Just know that when you think about it, Jesus has paid it all. So if you think about it, turn it around and say, oh, that's exactly what I am. But by the grace of God, I've been redeemed. And there is no condemnation because the devil is a liar. We need to be joyful for all that God has done. Remember the Apostle Paul. What did he wrestle with? Well, what did Paul do when he was on that Damascus road before he got knocked off that horse? He was on his way to persecute more Christians. That's what he was doing. Many Christians were killed because of the Apostle Paul carrying out instructions. It was the Apostle Paul who said that, what, what did he say about himself? I'm the chief of all sinners. I know what I am, but I also know what Christ has done. We need to take heed to some of our friends like the Apostle Paul and be reminded of that. So brothers and sisters, there is no longer a need to be paralyzed by regret because your slate has been wiped clean. The plate has been licked. The devil's been licked. He got the tail kicked out of him on Calvary, and he's a defeated, he's a defeated whatever he is. Brothers, never forget that the, the devil is God's devil, and he can't do anything without the authority of God. Nothing. You have more authority than what you realize. I would say this in closing. We've got to stop doing hard time in our minds. We've got to get off the, 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 the chain gain, metaphorically. We've got to remind ourselves when we're in the yard, metaphorically in the joint prison, that the debt's been canceled. You can walk out of prison anytime. Why are you staying here? Stop making friends with the warden. Just go home. Stop making payments. It's been paid in full. Paul says this, Colossians 2.14. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations, that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. I wonder how many times he thought about that. I'm sure that the devil reminded him of his past. And as one theologian said, I'm sure that he reminded the devil of his future. Brothers and sisters, we got to understand something. We either walk faith or we walk limping full of condemnation and regret we need to stop and say yes some of the things that are in my life or that have happened in my life have not been eloquent it won't make it on a hallmark movie however god will use it for his glory if you let him because take what's in the darkness bring it out to the light and watch what god does with it. We'll read this to you in closing. And I think it will help sum up the, the sermon. The Bible records a story of a very unusual dinner. A dinner party that Jesus attended at the home of Simon the Pharisee. Imagine yourself there in this very tense and powerful scene. We're not told why Jesus has been invited to this dinner. 
but we know tensions are high between him and the Pharisees. His host has rudely and, and, and conspicuously withheld from Jesus some of the basic courtesies that are due a dinner guest. A kiss of greeting, a washing of feet, a drop of anointing oil. These glaring omissions are obvious to all of those who are present. But then suddenly, an unexpected person appears. Into the room comes a known prostitute. This is a woman who's despised by, the, by polite society. But what happens next in this room is unthinkable to those who are watching. As Jesus reclines at the low table, leaning on one elbow, his feet stretched out far away from the table, and the woman stands over him and begins to weep. Uh, by the way, weeping is different than crying. She's weeping. All the conversation in the room ceases. The sound of her weeping grows in volume, filling the entire house and spilling out into the street. Her freely flowing tears wet his unwashed feet. She kneels. She lets down her hair and begins to wipe Jesus' feet. She kisses them and anoints them with perfume as an act of worship. Can you now feel the atmosphere in that room? No one is eating. No one is moving. Perhaps the strangest of all things is Jesus does nothing, nothing to suggest that the shocking behavior of the sinful woman is anything but appropriate. I'll stop there. And I'll close with this. This is recorded in Scripture because God wants us to see. He wants us to see ourselves in that woman. And He wants us to see the example of that woman. She could have kept everything in hiding, but she didn't. This wasn't her first encounter with Jesus. For many of you, this is not your first encounter with Jesus. But for whatever reason, you failed to go back and give it to God. He doesn't just forgive you one time. When you go to Him and you just say, God, would you forgive me? Would you, would you, would you help me? He will help you. You can go to Him. You can't lose your salvation. But you see, when you're one with the Father and you're hurting and you're desperate, you can go to Him. He hears the cries, of his, the, the cries of His people. He hears the weeping. And He restores you. And that's the very thing that the devil doesn't want. So today, you can have victory over condemnation. But don't do it your way. Don't do it the self-help way. Do it through the power of the Holy Spirit which dwells within you if you are in Christ. Amen? You may stand.